Thank you for traveling with Amex Platinum. To your right, you'll see Oceanside Relaxation at a fine hotel and resort property. When booked through Amex Travel, you can enjoy complimentary breakfast for 2 and 4 p.m. late checkout. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Cain Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Oh, my God, how could he do that? Are you on? Charles Darwin. Welcome, everybody, back into Nerd Sesh. As always, I'm your host, Carson Brabber, and alongside me is Logan Camden. It is a pleasure, as always, to be live with you here today. And the good news is we have plenty to talk about because just a few days ago, the NBA trade deadline transpired. And as is the case with NBA transaction season, a lot of fun and exciting stuff happened because it always does. Because this is a league with a bunch of teams trying to contend or trying to rebuild and trying to acquire assets in whatever way serves them best. And we saw plenty of that this past Thursday. So, Logan, let's start with the deal that I think could possibly have the most impact on who is truly considered in the contender conversation this year. And that was, I guess, two separate moves, but one much bigger than the other, made by the Miami Heat, who acquired Victor Oladipo from the Rockets in exchange for Avery Bradley, Kenny, Kenny Olynyk, in a 2022 pick swap, and then also in a separate deal, acquired Bielitsa from the Kings in exchange for Mo Harkless and Chris Silva. Logan, what were your general thoughts on these deals and sort of the implications of them? No, I agree with what you said. Uh, it has a huge, uh, a huge effect on the contender race, but also... I just think this is the best move at the deadline in general. It's one that makes me genuinely think that the Heat can come out and win the East. First of all, uh, the first aspect of the trade, you get Oladipo for pennies on the dollar. And I want to contextualize the reason his value is so low. We've talked about it all season long. He was just trying to do a little too much in Houston. They wanted him to play a much bigger role than you know his skill set is suited for. And also in the past, Carson, again, uh, he gets moved here for Bradley Olenek in a pick swap. In the past, he's been dealt for Serge Ibaka when his value was an all-time high. Mm-hmm. Paul George, when you know he's a piece of that deal, a piece of the James Harden deal. It's just what a steal value-wise for the Heat. But um, I still think he brings a little bit of star potential that uh, old teams were buying on. I know Oladipo's 28, but I think he is a perfect uh, a perfect player to learn under Jimmy Butler. Jimmy's 31. They're players with, in my opinion, really similar skill sets. If Jimmy can teach him to play with that same kind of mentality and unselfishness, I think Oladipo could take over when Jimmy's gone. Um, but even if he doesn't return to that you know, all-star caliber level, I think he fits perfectly with these pieces already. He plays gritty defense. He can fill a role as a competent catch-and-shooter along these guys at 39% on the year. And he fills that desperate need that we've talked on all season as a secondary playmaker. But the biggest, act, uh, the biggest aspect of this Oladipo acquisition is the defense, right? Uh, the, it gives the Heat, Carson, a defensive Voltron to compete with mm-hmm. the top dogs out east. I mean... You know how the mini lions come together in Voltron? It's it's kind of like that. Yeah, I've never seen it. Okay, uh, you're a little uncultured, but you know. I just think in any hypothetical with any team out east, they have the defensive pieces to compete with anybody against Milwaukee. Adebayo takes Giannis, Butler takes Middleton, Oladipo takes Holiday. Um, then you have another guy like Trevor Ariza. I mean, I think they match up with the Nets, the Sixers, the Bucks just because of the defensive assets that they have acquired uh, near the trade deadline here. I love it for Miami. And I think I may have talked myself into taking them out east this year. I love what they bring defensively. So you really think that they are fully on par with the Nets now, essentially? What the Nets do on offense, I would say that the Heat do on defense. 
Interesting, and they have been so great on that end. They've been the number three defense in basketball since Jimmy came back on January 30th, and Oladipo absolutely makes that even scarier. We know what he's capable of when fully locked in. There was a stretch in Houston this year where he was playing phenomenal defense when they went on that run where collectively as a team, they were the best defense in basketball. And you talk about the secondary creation that he obviously brings to you. I think that it always helps to have more creators and more playmakers, but I don't know if I thought that was as much of a need as maybe you did, because I remember you talked about the Heat being an ideal destination in your eyes for Oladipo, and I was like, I'm not so sure, because he really needs to change how he plays for it to work in Miami. As you mentioned, in Houston, he was really that ball-dominant, ISO-heavy guy. Almost half of his offense came out of either isolation or the pick-and-roll, where he is that guy who is handling for the majority of the possession, and he was average efficiency in both. We've talked about his struggles as a pull-up jump shooter, and so... He can shoot off the catch. We've talked about that as well. He's better than 39% from deep off the catch on the year. I just think he has to lean into that more and continue to hit it at that clip because this team needs shooting, which is a crazy thing to say about the Miami Heat, a team that was one of the best three-point shooting teams in the league last year. That's part of why they were able to have such a successful upset run in the playoffs. But they've gone from that status to 27th in the league in three-point percentage this year. Guys are not delivering there. Your two primary offensive options are non-shooters and Jimmy Butler and Bam Adebayo. And so... Oladipo can't just try to be Jimmy 2.0 because he doesn't want to shoot seven threes a game off the catch and he doesn't want to always be playing off ball. He's a guy who likes to do a lot of his work inside the arc from the mid-range around the rim with the ball in his hands, handling out of the pick and roll. And Jimmy just does all that better. And the more Jimmy handles, I think the better he is because he has taken so many evolutions as a facilitator. So I guess it just depends on is Oladipo willing to make that adjustment? And if he does, I think the potential is there for a team that now has more shooting, has more talented one-on-one creators, and more playmaking. But I don't think it's a dream fit because normally you pick up a guy like Oladipo and I would say, okay, you can stagger the minutes, but you're already staggering the minutes with Hero and Dragic, all these guys who can create. And maybe Oladipo is an upgrade there, but is he that much of an offensive upgrade over Goran Dragic? Not necessarily in my mind. I mean, I wouldn't say he's a massive upgrade from Goran Dragic, but I would say that with what he brings defensively, yeah. I can take a 39% catch-and-shooter out there. Oh, I would love it if he's willing to fully lean into that role. Well, and I mean, I think he will be. Like, he's not going to command nearly as much attention here. Like, I think because he'll be able to play, you know, second fiddle and third fiddle to Adebayo and Butler, I think we'll see a new revamped Oladipo. And I think, like you touched on, like we, uh, like I said in my ideal move to the Heat, if he adapts and plays that real playmaking role, I think that he can be really successful out here. Um, I do think you highlighted another reason why they made this Nemanja Bialica trade here. Um, 41% off the catch last season. They need shooters. He's only 29% on the year. Uh, Carson, do you have your concerns with you know how he fits into this system with how he's been shooting this year? Yeah, so Bielitsa is having a real down season. Normally, I am a very big Bielitsa guy because he is one of the best pure shooters in basketball, 40-plus percent over the last three seasons. And this year, you mentioned it, down under 30. Personally, I don't think he has to be a huge rotation piece. I think that when you talk about adding shooting, part of that is going to be through a guy like Ariza, through Oladipo, because he's locked in. And then it always helps to have the option of throwing Bielitsa out there because in situations where you just need that three, where you're not knocking down shots from the perimeter, he gives you a great option. But overall... Defensively, obviously, he's a liability, slow-footed there, and is going to have to be guarding fours, which is what he did in Sacramento, but he's just not very good at it. And so I don't think he plays really a major factor into this equation for the Heat, but what they have done is given themselves more versatility with these two moves and the Ariza deal, and they have just added depth and bolstered this roster. Now, let's talk about their ceiling. You hinted at how you think maybe they can ultimately go out there and win the East. This is a team that is still 22-24, and after they were surging and looked so good with Jimmy out there, they've now lost six straight games, and I believe Jimmy only missed one of them. So talk about really where the potential comes for them being that Eastern Conference champion and how high you see that ceiling getting. Well, it's a lot of what you mentioned. Uh, I think that obviously they're going to have to play nearly perfect defensively. I'm not saying that they're my favorite. I would probably still have them third behind guys like the Sixers and the Heat. I mean, excuse me, and the uh and the Nets, but mm-hmm. if the Heat show up defensively every night, which I can count on them to do, as long as they're shooting the pill, all right, Carson, like I, that, that's ultimately what it is. I yeah. have faith in the Miami Heat to be able to get hot in the playoffs when it matters and to knock down shots exactly like they did last year. <laughs> Am I? Uh, do you think I'm a fool for saying that I think they can beat somebody like Brooklyn? I don't know who I could look at out east and say they can beat Brooklyn right now. Just offensively, I think we're looking at the greatest collection of all time, and I think it's going to have to be a team that is the two-way ceiling of 
a Lakers or, I don't know, maybe even a Jazz or a Clippers, but I would not bet on very many teams at all to beat the Nets right now. Well, I'm the same cat who said that the Celtics were going to take him down right after the James Harden trade. You sure are that same guy. So I don't come down on the heat quite as high as you do, but I am still very optimistic about what they can be. And this recent little skid that has really just been driven by some offensive struggles, some shooting struggles as well, is not going to fully discourage me. I think that if they can really just get up to a league average mark from beyond the arc, which is so essential in determining how high you can fly as a team, and as they get fully healthy, which they haven't been for all that much of this season, I think we're going to see a team that has so much versatility as far as who can handle, who can dominate with the ball not in their hands as that off-ball threat. And then defensively, that's where the ceiling comes from, and that's where I'm optimistic. So I think that they go eight deep with really good players. I do think Ariza is going to matter. He hasn't been great thus far, but I think he just still needs to work his way back into being comfortable on the court. And when he does, I think that he's going to be a legitimate player for this team as well. So I am scared of the Heat, and I think that they can absolutely contend with the Bucks and the Sixers for that second spot out East. There was a time when I said that they were going to be just the second-best team point-blank. I said this to myself over Twitter and then quickly deleted it because I was like, I want to think that over a little bit more. I don't know if I can go there, but they are definitely in that tier with these moves. Well, on. I think uh, I think I kind of brushed over it a little bit. No, they're going to be a lot of fun offensively too, Carson. Everybody's mm-hmm. going to be able to handle. Everybody's going to be able to filter in and out, set screens for everybody. It's the Oladipo move makes them so versatile at both ends of the floor. So let's move on to a deal that involved another Florida team and not a former NBA All-Star, but a current NBA All-Star. The Chicago Bulls went out there and acquired Nikola Vucevic and Alfred Camino from the Magic in exchange for Wendell Carter Jr., Otto Porter Jr., and two firsts. Logan, this was obviously part of a series of Magic moves that initiated the rebuild that you said was not coming, and thank God that it did indeed come because that is great for Magic fans and the organization as a whole. But what were your thoughts on this one? Uh, you know, a lot of people have come out and said that the Chicago Bulls won the trade deadline by swinging this deal for Vucevic. Let me tell you, Carson, those people are wrong. Um, I, I think right now, apples to apples, talent-wise, it is a good move for the Bulls, obviously, right? You get mm-hmm. Vucevic, who is a better floor spacer, a much better overall offensive talent and upgrade from Wendell Carter Jr. You get Aminu, who is kind of comparable defensively to Porter Jr., and I'm not saying that it doesn't do anything for this Bulls team right now. Offensively, they're going to be a lot of fun to watch. Zach Levine in the pick and roll with Vooch, in the pick and pop with Vooch, in, uh, with DHOs. Their offense is going to be a lot of fun to watch, you know, when you have other floor spacers and guys with upside. Patrick Williams, Laurie Markin, and like, I like it in that regard with how they're going to be this year. But I have to ask, what does Vucevic ultimately bring this season and until his contract is up in 2023? Right now, the Bulls sit at 1924, they're 10th in the East. I don't think Vucevic really moves the needle all that much, and ultimately I think that the Bulls are in the exact same spot they were before the trade. Uh, and that's where they're going to be until his contract is up. It doesn't make the Bulls that much better. You're not winning a whole lot of more games. Like, does the Vucevic trade make the Bulls a top-four team out east, Carson? Definitely not. No, it doesn't. They're still in no-man's land, that scrappy 6-10 to spot every season with a looming chance to get eliminated in the first round by the Bucks, Heat, Nets, or Sixers. But now you have less draft draft capital, and you got a decade older at your five spot. And I want to reiterate, I'm not saying that Carter Jr. is better than Vucevic, but what I am saying is they have a similar effect on winning. Either way, I'd like to welcome Chicago to purgatory. Um, I love the move for the Magic. You get two first-round picks. Um, and while I certainly have my concerns about Wendell Carter Jr., I think he needs to get better as a role man and a rim protector. I think he's got the biggest upside of any Magic player right now outside of Jonathan Isaac. So... And I still think he has the potential to be a really great NBA center one day. I love this move for the Magic. I'm so glad they blew everything up. Bulls fans are really dumb, in my opinion, for thinking that this is going to be some franchise-saving move. I really think it sets them back a few years. This is a monumental mistake by Chicago, and it's unfortunate to see a franchise that has made so many mistakes in this century make yet another one here. There are so many reasons that this was ill-advised, part one being that you are really still in the early stages of a rebuild. And just because you're playing above expectations this year doesn't mean that that's no longer the case. The guys who you're hoping will maybe be franchise centerpieces are 19 and 20 and Patrick Williams and Kobe White. And you were on track to have a couple more lottery picks over these next couple years because they're not even close to a top four team out East. Right now they're 10th, as you mentioned. Am I going to take them over the Pacers or the Celtics or the Heat, these teams that are immediately above them when it comes to winning time? Of course not. It's not even close. And I also think... The fit is just not ideal for Vooch. It's going to be weird to see him integrated into this team both offensively and defensively. 
So your primary creator in Chicago is obviously Zach Levine, who's going to do a lot of handling out of the pick and roll, a lot of creation out of isolation. But if you're going to amplify his skill set with a, a great big man, you would want it to be that kind of dynamic role man potentially. And that's just not Vooch. He's a little bit of a lumbering guy. He's 53rd percentile out of the pick and roll. He's not going to be all that effective there. We don't even see him do all that much short role playmaking, and maybe that's because of the ball handlers in Orlando. But it's not something we've really seen. And so I don't think it raises your offensive ceiling all that much, although, of course, it's nice to have more good players, more skilled shooting, a guy who can maybe do sort of the Thaddeus Young role of facilitating out of the high post and the dribble handoffs and all that stuff, certainly at a higher level with more of the threat of the shot too. But defensively, I think it's more problematic. The Magic were 8.5 points per 100 worse with Vooch on the floor defensively. I don't know how he plays with Laurie Markkinen. That is going to be just a disaster to watch. And then offensively, it's not like things are going to run through him. He's not going to be your primary option. That's still going to be Levine. And so it's just not a game-changing move on that end. And defensively, I think it legitimately hurts them. And it just sucks to give away potential real assets when you're so, so far away from contending. And building around Zach Levine and Nikola Vucevic in the year 2021 is such a catastrophic mistake that I can't believe it's something that teams are still doing. There is so little upside here. And they are so far away in so many ways. And what is your ceiling with either one of these guys as your best player? You just know that it's not all that high. And so I do think it's great for the Magic, as you mentioned. I think that getting this kind of value out of Vooch, who really does not have that long-term value for your organization, is great. And you sucker a team into saying, okay, he's a really good basketball player. Let's throw the farm for him. But it's just foolish. Yeah, and I think you hit it right on the head when you were talking about just the timetable for these teams. Uh, they don't fit up with what they were trying to do. I think they would have been much better off letting their young assets develop and then figuring it out in Markinen, in Carter, in Patrick Williams. You know, just think for a couple years. Mm-hmm. Go get your more. Go get some more young guys and then trade away. And that's something that I don't think Chicago understands. Carson, Zach Levine is not even a part of this team's winning future. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I heard a case from uh, Kevin O'Connor and Chris Ryan about you know, where the Bulls could be uh, contenders because Kevin O'Connor loved the move. Uh He said that um, he loved the fit with Levine and uh, Vucevic on offense and what it did for them. Mm. But then he tried to say that, oh, the Bulls could be good in three years when Patrick Williams could be that third star. At that time, Vucevic is going to be 33. Levine's going to be 28. Like, this is just... The timetable is completely off for the Bulls, and uh, I agree with your sentiment in saying this is a catastrophic mistake when you are sacrificing what could be a great future for a mediocre <laughs> current time period. It's it's another embarrassing move. And it's unfortunate, and I do think it's fun to see more teams go all in and try to improve the quality of their teams, and the Bulls will be better from this, but just not by that much, in my opinion. And so I don't think it's a seamless fit offensively, and it'll be interesting to see how they work things out, but I just really don't like it very much at all for them. So let's talk now about a couple other deals that involved the Orlando Magic selling the farm. The first one involves the Denver Nuggets, who went out there and got Aaron Gordon from the Magic in exchange for Gary Harris, R.J. Hampton, and a 2025 first. Logan, what were your thoughts on this one? I'm giddy. Yeah. I'm, I'm Josh Giddy, as, as <laughs> Carson Breber would say. Um, I don't know how many more wins the Aaron Gordon move uh, secures Denver the rest of the way, but I do know that Nuggets offense is going to be even more fun to watch. I think it fills one of the biggest needs for this Denver offense, uh, and that's a genuine role threat who can kind of dominate the interior and finish at the rack. Uh, Gordon shooting 58% within five feet this season. He was 66% within five in 2020. He's never been below 60% in his entire career. He's uh, 73rd as a percentile as a role man last season as well, and he can still jump out the building. Obviously, I am really excited his potential as the role man alongside Murray and Jokic in the pick and roll. Carson, what I'm even more excited for, though, is just all of the pick and roll versatility that this gives the Nuggets. And I don't just mean Murray and Jokic handling the rock. Gordon is the role man. I mean, you could just switch off. Gordon can handle the rock, too. Like, I think this is the best playmaking Aaron Gordon that we've ever seen. He's averaging a career high in assist. He's gotten better at playmaking every single year. He's a good passer out of the post. Maybe you can make him a decent passer out of the pick and roll. I mean, this just makes the Nuggets offense that much more scary, that much more versatile, that much more fun to watch. In transition, they're going to be hard. Like, this just, it makes the Nuggets scary Mm -hmm. so much more. Um, I'm excited, man. I just want to see Murray and Jokic tossing lobs all day. And I don't even think they gave up that much value. I mean, Gary Harris, 32% shooter on the year, 38% off the catch. R.J. Hampton, in my opinion, a really inefficient scorer who I didn't like out of the draft. I know we haven't seen a lot of Hampton this year, so I'm not going to bag on the kid too much. 
I didn't really believe in his skill set coming in, and you give up one first-round pick that with Jokic on the roster is not going to mean anything at all, yep. this is an absolute steal. I completely agree, and even with Harris, because of his injury, he hasn't been in the rotation for the better part of a month and a half, and he was not good when he was out there. So obviously the defensive value is there for him, but the defensive value is much greater for a versatile guy with the tools of Gordon. So I like this a lot as well. I'm on the verge of saying I love it, but I do think that the swing trait here is how well does Aaron Gordon shoot the ball. That is the difference between liking it and loving it for me because he's currently shooting better than he has uh, throughout most of his career at 37.5% from deep, but I think he's closer to 32% on his career, and I don't know if he can quite sustain this level, but... I'm optimistic that with the spacing that you have in Denver and with the tear that he's been on as of late, that he can sustain it. But this was, if not a position of need, a position of potential upgrade because Jermichael Green and Paul Millsap have been fine at the four, but this is just a completely different level. And you talk about the potential versatility for Gordon handling and playmaking. Honestly, I just want to finally let him be a true four. I don't want to see him try to handle all that much. And of course he can in spots, but I don't want to see him try to be point forward Aaron Gordon because he's only really average at it. I just want to see him shooting, making those quick decisions, and rolling to the bucket. And I think that if he does that, if he simplifies his game and stops trying to be a 2018 Blake Griffin who is doing all of that kind of weird junky handling from the perimeter and it kind of works, certainly worked for Blake, doesn't work all that well for Gordon. If he can let go of that past, I think he can be a completely different level as a player. And defensively is where I love this move the most because Nuggets have gotten better there throughout the year. They've been on a little bit of a slide as of late defensively, but still for the most part have been trending upwards. And if he fully leans in there, he can just take this team up another level. He can guard the best player three through five, maybe not always five, sometimes five. It depends on what lineup you're facing. And I just think can have value as a help side rim protector, can be that super switchable guy out of the pick and roll. So many things that he does so well. And what's really exciting about this is, in some ways, it puts the Nuggets over the top. Like, he didn't go out there and get Bradley Beal, but this is a team that is way better than people have acknowledged. Way better. And the point differential shows that. The tear that they've been on since they got off to a slightly slow start to the season show that. And they just possibly added their third best guy. Honestly, I would say almost certainly added their third best guy without giving up a rotation piece and with giving up a pick that's four years down the road and will be in the 20s. So I do think there's upside for them as a real contender now. I think that the top five teams out West are pretty insane. I think that, honestly, the six best teams in basketball might be the top five teams out West and the Brooklyn Nets. Maybe the Heat, the Bucks work their way into that conversation, the Sixers. But this team is really, really good, and they have given themselves a fighting chance, and they should be better than they were in last year's playoffs. Of course, the outstanding variable there is, does Jamal turn into a superhuman again? Because that's part of what propelled them there. But uh, this team just got a lot better. Yeah, and uh, I wanted to say, uh, to your point about Gordon shooting, this season, only 25 games, he's shooting 44% off of the catch. If you get that Aaron Gordon, good luck. Seriously. I want to ask, so what's your hierarchy out west then? Did that move the Nuggets up at all? I think that they're standing pat at five right now until I see something else from them or until the Suns slow down, which is not going to happen because they are playing phenomenally right now. But... The gaps between those teams are not all that big right now. They are all real good and verging on legitimate, legitimate championship contender status, in my opinion. I mean, I realistically in the playoffs could see any of those teams coming out of out of the West. Which is very fun compared to, obviously, what the league has been for the past few seasons. Even last year, it felt somewhat clear that the Lakers were going to be the team coming out. I don't want to stick on the Nuggets too long. Do you think they need anything else moving forward? Do you think this has not solved other issues, but do you think they're ready to go out there and compete for a championship. I feel a lot, lot better about them now because now you have shooting one through five. You have more versatile defense. You have, as this team gets fully healthy, some really solid depth. That's the thing to remember is just we haven't seen the fully healthy Nuggets all that much on the year. But even beyond your starting five, you have, first of all, Will Barton rounding out the starting five, who's a really good NBA player. And then you have... Morris and you have Millsap presuming that he's not going to be starting anymore and Jermichael Green in Facundo so it's just a team that is really rich with talent top to bottom and I do think that we're going to see that all come together and I think that we're going to see them start to surge so I am optimistic about this team and they've been an outstanding offense I think this helps make them a better defense and ultimately a better all-around team they did make one other move though adding a rotation piece there that we'll touch on just quickly 
They picked up JaVale McGee from the Cavs in exchange for Isaiah Hartenstein in two seconds. What did you think about this one, Logan? Uh, as a big JaVale McGee fan, mm-hmm. I love this move. Yeah. Now, I love it even more just because uh, we've harped on it a little bit. Jokic has been better as a rim protector and defender this season. You get a really good defensive five in JaVale McGee. Mm-hmm. He can protect the rim at an elite level while he's not like... He's not the best guy to switch on and off in the pick and roll. He's at least a competent pick and roll defender. He knows what he needs to do, but he's an elite rim protector. Um, he's also an elite roll man. It's going to be a lot of fun to watch, watching Murray and Jokic throw him lobs. As a JaVale McGee fan, I'm more excited to see that than an Aaron Gordon lob. Yeah, nice. I like him. And, uh, like, you don't give up anything. Isaiah Hartenstein blows. Two seconds, whatever. Give me JaVale McGee all day. These were, uh, like... I love the Aaron Gordon deal. This put it over the top for me. And, yeah, I would put him, Carson. I might put him over the Suns and Jazz right now. Call me crazy. Wow. I like it. I like it a lot. I think that the margins are pretty slim at this point. I don't know if I could go there, though, without seeing it all come together. But this is a really big ad. And the reason for that is mostly just that Hardenstein was so bad. And with the loss of Mason Plumlee, they needed somebody who could go in there and be that just straight-up rim runner, rim protector with the second unit, and Hartenstein does not bring you that value. Now, giving up two seconds for McGee is not nothing, but at the same time, what are you really going to do with those two seconds? Maybe you'll draft the next Nikola Jokic with the 46th pick in the draft, but probably not. You're probably just going to get a couple guys who aren't going to be relevant in your rotation ever, and we know what McGee does at a high level, and I think once he stops trying to do some of the cute stuff that he did a little bit more in Cleveland, which is just hilarious, when you let JaVale run free, you put him in in garbage time or you put him on a bad team and he just starts shooting turnarounds and pull-up threes and all this stuff, and you're just like, JaVale, why? Stop. You're so bad at it. Just setting up a Shaq and a fool moment here, but... Alas, there probably aren't going to be very many of those in Denver. I think he's going to lean into his role, and I think he's going to do a good job in it. So I like that signing a lot as well. I don't think he's going to get a whole lot of PT out there initially. You don't think so? I mean, I think he's going to get a few minutes. I think they're going to save him for the playoffs, though. Interesting. I also will say, you talk about the potential of a Jokic-McGee lob connection. I really don't think they're going to play together very much at all. You do not want Jokic as your defensive four under any circumstances. I want to see it. Okay, I don't want to see it. How much did Plumlee and Jokic play together, Logan? <laughs> no, <None>. Exactly. <laughs> you can't really do that two-center thing when Jokic is your guy out there who all of a sudden has to be guarding the perimeter like that. So let's talk now about another deal that involves the Orlando Magic. That last one didn't, but the one before did with Aaron Gordon because they have traded away their third big piece to the Boston Celtics in exchange for Jeff Teague, who will not even be reporting to Orlando in two seconds. I love this deal for the Celtics. Logan, what did you think? Yeah, I love this move as well. Um, I think it addressed one of three positions that I think the Celtics need. And it's a shame, man, because they've had the personnel in the past. Uh, like, they needed a Gordon Hayward type uh, with how he's been playing this year. Guess what? They go out and they get it in Evan Fournier. Uh, I don't think it fixes all their problems, but it certainly fixes a lot of them. He's a uh, pretty good catch-and-shooter. Um, 39 or 36% on the year. I think that'll go up. He'll have more opportunities created in this offense. But as you mentioned, Fournier being one of your favorite guys, Carson, mm-hmm. he can handle the rock. He can, he moves it around the perimeter. He's unselfish. He can get a shot off in the lane. He's, he's just a do it all glue guy on offense. And that's what the Celtics starting lineup needs. So I love this move, uh, getting Fournier. I love what they gave up. Jeff Teague is not going to report to Orlando. Basically all they give up here is two second round picks. I just don't think it solves all of the Celtics' issues. I still think they need that flamethrower off the bench. I still think they need that defensive five, even with the other move that they made here at this deadline. But Fournier is going to fix the issues in their starting lineup, I think, offensively. Although I still have my concerns about other aspects of the Celtics. So you think that they're going to inject him into that starting five? I would, yeah. I'd play him right alongside Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum. Interesting. So I was thinking that I really like how he fits as an electric sixth man who can also play with the starting five. And I guess the reason for that is it scares me a little bit saying, okay, Marcus Smart, you go play with the bench because we know what's going to happen. He's going to go full, I am the captain now mode and shoot 20 times a game. And I'm just much more comfortable with him being in that role where his emphasis is defense and knocking down open shots. And then you put Fournier in that role where he can really facilitate for a second unit. And I just don't want to underrate what he is because – Personally, I don't do that. I talk about how much I like Evan Fournier a lot. But you've just added a 20-point-per-game scorer who can legitimately facilitate, who can also be that killer spot-up shooter with the starters for two second-round picks. And the only reason you're able to get him for this value is because he's an expiring, 
and you already owe $130 million in cap next year, so it might be tough to bring him back. But if he's willing to take some sort of pay cut, maybe you can pull it off as he gets into, not his twilight years, obviously. He's still pretty much in his prime. But as he gets into that mode where maybe you become a little more desperate to contend because you've been in Orlando for quite some time, and it can get pretty depressing down there. And so I agree with you. It doesn't address their most glaring need, maybe, which would have been that high-level two-way big. But it addresses a need as far as just the fact that this team had a short bench that didn't really have any direction there where you're entrusting Jeff Teague with facilitating, and that's just not good. And you do it with a really, really good player, one of the better versions of what you could have gotten. Now, obviously, he's not a true point guard. Don't want to make it out to be like that. He's not the level of facilitator that a Gordon Hayward is, but he's a good facilitator. He's a lethal scorer, just a downright bucket, and that's great for this team. And as Time Lord starts to come along a little bit more and Maybe if Neesmith can find his way, maybe there is more potential with this team than obviously they have shown for most of this season. Yeah, and actually, uh, I want to rescind my comment. No, nah, I'm bringing Fournier off the bench. I, I don't want Marcus Smart. Yeah. Uh, I don't want Marcus Smart going full ISO mode. Yeah, nobody wants that. Peyton Pritchard would become very sad playing alongside Marcus Smart. I think for the majority of his minutes. So. Obviously, this is not suddenly all sunshine and roses in Boston. This has been a really disappointing season, but this is a big upgrade for them, and I think that they did it with some really insignificant value, which is always great, and props to Danny Ainge for pulling that off, even if he didn't get some sort of superstar-level player. I don't think that guy was on the market in a way that made sense for them this year. I think that this was the best move that they could have pulled off, although maybe Aaron Gordon could have had some intrigue. I don't know. It would be weird. I don't think you could start him unless you're going small ball five, which I don't love for Gordon. Like, I'm sorry, like, what does he bring to the Celtics, though? In More this? shooting and defensive versatility. Yeah, but I, I don't know. I feel like you're taking minutes away at that four spot. Yeah. Like, I don't, I don't want Tatum running the three. I want – you need a defensive five. Like, I just don't see anything that Aaron Gordon does on offense that uh, Robert Williams doesn't already bring me. Okay, what are you talking about? I mean, about? outside of, like, yeah, the spacing. That's it. What about the facilitating and the handling and everything other than catching lobs? Sure, I don't need that in this rotation okay, in Boston. that's fair to say, but that's not what you initially said, wise guy. So, look, <laughs> I was just thinking through some things, all right? I have now come to the conclusion that I like this move more than any theoretical Aaron Gordon move. I was just thinking, the Celtics have not been afraid to try some weird starting lineups. This was a team that said, hey, let's start Tyson, Tristan Thompson together most <laughs> of the nights. So maybe starting Aaron Gordon at the five wouldn't be the craziest thing that they did. But... With that, we're going to take a quick break. We will, unsurprisingly, still be talking trade deadline on the other side of it. You are listening to Nerd Sesh on Blaze Radio and blazeradioonline.com. Welcome, everybody, back from the little bit of a break there. If you're listening live on Blaze Radio, you did not get a break from the sweet, sweet sounds of my voice because I played promos from two Carson Brewer shows. Why did I do that? Because I'm egotistical, and I enjoy hearing the sound of my own voice, and that's why I talk so much. But let's keep talking some trade deadline because I think that that is obviously something that we enjoy doing more than just hearing the sounds of our own voices, and we're not done with big deals. Now, maybe we've gotten through the biggest ones of the day, but there's still a couple significant ones out there that change the landscape of some things as far as the standings go. And the first one is the Trailblazers acquiring Norman Powell from the Raptors in exchange for Gary Trent Jr. and Rodney Hood. I thought, Logan, this was a very interesting move. What did you think? Yeah, I mean, interesting is a good way to put it. Um, it Head-scratching, maybe. I don't really understand the purpose here for Portland. Uh, if this is a plug-and-play and Powell comes off of the bench as a sixth man in the same role that Gary was filling, I love it. You know, mm-hmm. I think it's a great deal. He's Norm is a guy who can fill it up. He has taken a genuine leap uh, just in his overall scoring ability. We've covered He's great out of the mid-range. He has been a tremendous shooter behind the arc this season. He's great at getting to the lane. He's been great at finishing. He's just been doing it all this season as a scorer, but if the Blazers want him to play off-ball to Lillard and McCollum, I don't love it as much because you've already had a perfect player, as you have mentioned so many times. Gary Trent is your best friend, Carson. Yeah, They had the perfect off-ball shooter in him on this squad already. Um I guess Portland's going in on this all-individual bucket-getting squad. Like, it's going to be fun watching them, Carson. You know, Dame, CJ, Mello, Norm Powell, all out to get their own. Nobody sharing the basketball. It's going to be fun, but I just don't really understand it. I mean, Powell, up near 20 points per game this season. He will be an electric catch-and-shooter. Even if they use him in that role, he's been 45%. But I just... It's not that I don't like it from a value perspective. I just don't like the fit nearly as much. Gary Trent, 15 Uh points per game on 41-39 shooting splits, shooting 42% uh, as a catch-and-shooter this season. 
like I just I like I like having that value that elite off ball catch and shooter that can kill you. We saw Gary Trent go off in the bubble a few times. We've seen him do it a few times this year. I just think I know he's been on a little bit of a cold stretch recently. I think he should have still gotten a little more burn here. Um, yeah. I do like this pickup for the Raptors, though, Carson. You get another young guy to build around Norm Powell, another guy who doesn't really fit the timetable anymore if the Raptors are going into this pseudo kind of rebuild. Mm-hmm. Um, so I like the move for them just because I'm a big Gary Trent fan like you. For the Blazers, look, Norman Powell's really good, but I just don't really see what added value he brings to this squad. Yeah, this was a super weird move, and the thing is, obviously Powell can sort of be in some ways a better version of what Trent is. They are both those lethal shooters off the catch. Powell definitely has more ability to create for himself, has more handling, maybe even more facilitating. Trent still has so far to go there. He really is just an incredible pull-up jump shooter at this point and doesn't have that in-between game, doesn't have that explosivity getting downhill, doesn't have that decision-making. And so his value is just as that spot-up shooter who could have been an easy plug-and-play alongside Damon CJ. Should have been starting all year. They were getting miserable shooting instead from Rocco and Derek Jones Jr. that was holding the bag for much of the year. And Terry Stotts just said, I hate you, Gary. I'm only going to start you when CJ goes out. You're going to put up 20 a game. You're going to show how lethal of a shooter you are. And then I'm going to send you right back to the bench. And then I'm going to trade you even though you're 22 and you are a really talented young kid. So I don't know what's up there. But this is just interesting because... I don't know what different role Powell fills. I don't think he's going to start alongside Damon CJ. And also, Rodney Hood had not been good this year, but I do think that there is real potential for him to be a quality rotation two-way piece who can knock down shots and who can D up on the other end. Why are you squinting at me? Has he not done that many times before? Yeah, I don't know. Rodney just didn't really look good this year. No, that's what I just said. But Rondo looked like the worst player in basketball (laughs) last year, and next thing we know... He's freaking CP in the playoffs. So I'm not going to count anything out. But for the Raptors, I do think that this makes sense. If you like Trent more as that long-term asset, again, he's not as good as Powell right now, but he is five years younger. But this is just kind of interesting in both ways. You don't get a pick in exchange for Powell. You don't address really a different kind of player for Portland. Like It's not like you got some sort of really high-level shot-making and defensive wing you got a guy who at 6'3 is not going to be starting with your starting five, with your small backcourt as is. And so, yeah, he can fill it up off the bench. That's great. I don't know if that was the number one need for this team. And I think you touched on it, Carson. I think they would have been better off uh, making a move for a defensive wing or a defensive asset of any kind. Like, I, That's why I say that I think they went in on this individual kind of bucket-getting mentality. Yeah. Let's not play any defense. Let's just hit a bunch of contested shots in your mouth and <laughs> frustrate you uh, defensively. Yeah. I don't love the move, but I'm definitely fascinated by it. Yeah, and I do think if they got marginally better right now because Norman Powell is a better player right now than Gary Trent Jr. Just not by an insane amount, I don't think, and not in a way that is that much more cohesive to this team winning at the highest level. So I definitely don't think they're a winner of the trade deadline, even though they got a good player in there because they gave up a good player and other teams did more. And one of those teams that I think did something that was more significant, maybe not as big of a name, But the Dallas Mavericks went out and acquired J.J. Redick and Nicole O'Malley from the Pelicans in exchange for James Johnson. Thank God. Wesley Wundu and uh, a second-round pick as well. Logan, what do you think about this one? You hate James Johnson more than just about anybody I know. Look, that's a scary thing to say, all right, because he would throw me into the dirt and possibly beat me within inches of my life. He's a UFC fighter, let's keep in mind. Don't say possibly. He's ending you, Carson. Oh, he's ending me in a matter of seconds. I'm not even going to try. I'm putting my hands up. I'm politely saying, James, I take it all back. Please forgive me. Find it in your heart. And then he's grinding me to a pulp. But with the Dallas Mavericks, he was terrible. So, yes. Yeah, I mean, he was pretty bad out there. Uh, I hated seeing the James Johnson minutes. I am really... I just I love the Dallas Mavericks organization, the yeah. front office, the moves that they made. They had, in my eyes, a perfect draft. I know that, that may not look like that now because Bay and Terry have not spent a lot of time on the floor. I still love it. I love the move that they have made now. Like, it's the formula is simple. When you have a player like Luca who can command so much attention and can see anybody on the floor, what do you get for him? You just get shooters. When mm-hmm. when guys are having bad nights, and it's not like this team doesn't already have shooters. They've got Kleber. Uh, Brunson, uh, Hardaway, all over 40% off the catch this season. Then you add in J.J. Redick. We have already established one of the greatest three-point shooters of all time. He is nearly 40% off the catch this season. And Nicolo Melli. Melli is at, like, I think 20% catch and shoot this season, but last year was at 36. I mean, if a guy is having an off-shoot night, you just say, hey, Melli, get in there and go knock down some shots. It is... Everybody on the floor for the Mavericks at any given time is going to be able to knock down a shot. 
and that makes him scary uh, for the rest of this way and come playoff time. I love the move. Anytime you can add shooting to a player that uh, can open up shots for other people, it is a smart move, especially when that player is as uberly talented as Luka Doncic. Oh, the Mavs are really, really good now, and they have been for some time. And I actually made a full YouTube video on it that you can go and check out. But this just makes them that much better because this is a team that was initially undone by its shooting to start this year. And they have progressively gotten better there. And now you add a guy who is such a seamless fit here, as you mentioned, literally just roll him off ball, run him off a pin down. And we know what J.J. Redick can do. It's what he's done for his entire career. He will be that elite shooting threat. And so this is a huge, huge, huge win for the Mavs because Johnson was very bad. Awundu was not playing. And you give up a second-round pick. Who cares? Redick is beautiful with Luka. And so I just think what we're going to see is by the end of this year, the Mavs will be much better than they were last year because Luka is a different player. And I think that you have retained all your pieces. And now that they have fully gotten healthy and they've avoided any COVID stuff as of late, I just think that there is a ceiling for this team that is not true contender level, but I think definitely better than what we've seen out of Portland. And maybe that changes when Portland gets Nurk back. But right now, I think that this is definitely my sixth favorite team out West. I will say Melly is not going to play because this team has enough depth as is. It'll be nice to have the option of another shooter, but he has so many deficiencies. And when he's not knocking down shots, he's one of the worst players in basketball, flat out. So there's two things I want to touch on with Redick. Um, mm -hmm. One, I think that Redick kind of brings a little bit of value as a clutch shot maker. Don't get me wrong. Mm -hmm. In those moments, I still... I'll probably take a Luka step back with two yeah. guys in his face at the end of a game anyway, just because I know Luka's that good at making that shot. But Reddick does bring that value if that shot opens up. He's that elite of a shooter. I want to ask you specifically, though, Carson, what do you think of the defensive minutes uh, that we're going to see out of this backcourt when Luka and Reddick are sharing the floor? Well, the thing is the Mavs defense has just been pretty flat-out bad this year, and so I'm not too concerned about it getting all that much worse, and I think that you can still start those guys alongside – Richardson and Finney Smith. I'm not saying that Redick is going to start. I should say you can play them alongside those two. And so then you're getting a couple of net positives on the wings. And if KP can find the kind of rim protection that we knew him for earlier in his career, you can get another net positive. Personally, I think that KP is more of a neutral defensively at this point. He's just not as mobile in space as he used to be, but maybe he's still a slight net positive. So long story short, I'm not too worried about it. Okay. Um... Was there a part two? No, 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 I was touching on uh, the – I mean, okay. what do you think about him as a closer alongside Luka? Oh, yeah, no, I do like that. I like the potential there, and it's always scary to have that kind of guy who can be so deadly in those spots, a Ray Allen type, if you will. And, yeah, they were missing that kind of truly guaranteed automatic shooter that they had in Seth Curry, and maybe Redick hasn't been that this year at 36%, but it's J.J. Redick, and shooting is not something that goes away with age. No, Reddick's aged like fine wine. Sure has. He was having the best season of his career a couple years ago at somewhere in his mid-30s. So I like this a lot for the Mavs. For the Pelicans, I don't <laughs> think it makes sense. Like, I guess that Reddick's not contributing much to you right now, but do you really like a second round or more if you're trying to make a play-in push? I certainly would not, so I think that that's pretty weird. But now we're into some of the nitty-gritty deals here, and this is the kind of stuff that we love at Nerd Sesh. Let's talk about a three-team deal in which the Bulls received Daniel Tice, Troy Brown Jr., and Javante Green, your favorite player in the NBA, Logan. The Celtics received Mo Wagner and Luke Cornett. Luke Cornett, not sure how he's still in the league. And the Wizards received Daniel Gafford and Chandler Hutchison. What were your thoughts on this blockbuster? Yeah, so, so let's break it down. Um, I thought that the Bulls definitely won this trade. 100%. Uh, they lost the earlier one, so I'm glad to see that they did take a dub. I mean, Tice is an excellent defensive asset. And when you talk about... Like, I don't really like Vucevic defensively. Whatever, man. Now you can sub in Tice and get those defensive minutes. He's a dog. Mm -hmm. And that is a, um, that's an aspect of this trade I really don't understand. I don't know why the Celtics would go up and give Tice when he is clearly the best center in their rotation, especially defensively. That has been a point of emphasis all season long. Like, I love Robert Williams and his offensive game, man. But he I don't know if he can shoulder that load of being that really solid defensive five at this moment in time. Um, I don't trust Tristan Thompson to do it. So... I don't like that move. I don't like giving up Tice in this uh, situation for the Celtics. Mo Wagner is a decent defensive piece. Like, he doesn't do anything excellent out there. He'll space the floor for the Celtics on offense. But they needed that defensive five, so I don't like giving up Tice for uh, Boston. Troy Brown Jr. is a factor in this that I love for the Bulls, man. Yeah. They get a little bit younger, um, but Tro Troy's kind of a uh, – you know what, man? Let's just, let's just patent in the phrase. 
He's a Swiss Army knife. He can do a little bit of everything oh, sure on offense. Uh, can pass a little bit, can shoot a little bit, um, get in the lane, get his, some contested buckets. I love for that pickup. I, you know I love Javante Green. So, I, I mean, I think this is a win for the Bulls. I don't like this in the Celtics. Mo Wagner's decent, and I don't really know what the Wizards' role in, <laughs> yeah. in this is. No, this is a pretty hilarious trade, and I do think that there's such a clear winner in the Bulls because for the Wizards, it's not great. Troy Brown Jr. is certainly better than Chandler Hutchison. And that's a guy you gave up versus a guy you acquired. And I loved Chandler Hutchinson as a prospect, but he's not a good NBA player. And with the difference between Daniel Gafford and Mo Wagner, who really cares as far as the difference between them? And then for the Celtics, you mentioned it. Why are you giving up Tice? I like Time Lord, but I would have so much rather given up Tristan Thompson. So my two rotational fives can be Tice and Williams instead of Thompson and Williams. Oh, I actually want to clarify. So I do know why the Celtics ended up giving up Tice. Okay. Uh, it was not, like, rotationally at all. Like, it's not like they mm-hmm. didn't want him to play anymore. Um, I think that after the Fournier deal, because of his contract, if they had kept Tice on the roster, it kept them into the luxury tax. Um, so, like, this was a trade that they ended up, you know, just having to do uh, to save money. Is his contract significantly different from Thompson's? Is he getting paid more than Thompson, period? I'm pretty sure Tice. Oh, also, you have to. No, no, no. Like, like the Celtics wanted to give up Tristan. Uh huh. Nobody wanted him. Okay. Because yeah, Thompson is making four million more per year, but I guess that that does make sense. He's not exactly a eye popping asset at a ten million price tag a year. Is Thompson? So yeah, this is not going to have any real major implications, of course. But I definitely think the Bulls won. You got a really nice backup five and. Troy Brown Jr. has real talent. We have not seen it this year, but he's a Swiss Army knife. We know what he did in the bubble when he was putting up like 14-5 and a game, and it was really fun to watch. And if he can just figure out that shot a little bit, he is a real NBA player. He can run a second unit for you. He can fit alongside a starting five and do a lot of things to help you win. So I do definitely like that for them. All right, let's keep it rolling with a team that maybe has slightly more contention implications here as the Clippers pick up Rajon Rondo from the Hawks in exchange for Lou Williams in two seconds. What do you think of this one, Logan? Oh, yeah. I love this move. Um, you spoke about this really early on. I mean, like last offseason, talking about uh, Luke Kennard and Lou Williams and how they just wouldn't work together. And uh, I think we've seen that. Uh, I mean, Lou has been, Lou's been all right. Lou's been pretty good, kind of the same that we've seen him. He just has not had that volume of opportunity, obviously. So I love this move. Um, you get a guy who is playoff uh tested and true he's going to help facilitate a lot on the second uh, on this um second unit he's going to play gritty hard-nosed defense that Lou doesn't play um and if we get shooting Rondo if we get catch and shooter Rondo mm-hmm. I mean that that ups his value even more you can play him in crunch time even uh because of his added defensive value I love this for the Clippers you just get another dog that is going to help you when it comes uh playoff time Helps your bench depth a little bit. And Lou Williams is filling a really similar role to a guy like Luke Kennard. I'm hoping this opens the door for my man. I'm hoping they just mm-hmm. don't go um, one for one and just give uh, Lou's minutes to Rondo. I want to see Kennard get some of that burn. So I am not as high on this as you are. I think that this is lots of value to give up for Rondo. I guess what do the Clippers really care? It's a couple second rounders. They're in full championship mode, so I'm not going to hold that against them. And they did have to offload Lou. I think he's irrelevant in big games. We saw that in a big way in last year's playoffs, and they just don't need him. His skill set as that kind of shot maker is redundant when you have Kawhi and Paul George, and you can stagger their minutes, and you're going to be closing with one of them. And by the way, Kennard, if they would just let him do what he's best at, is better at it than Lou Williams at this point in their careers as far as being that pick-and-roll ball handler and scorer and facilitator out of there. But when people talk about the Clippers needing a point guard, which, by the way, I have not been as big of a believer in as a lot of people, partly because of the market. If you think Rondo's that guy, I'm just not so sure. You talk about him commanding the second unit, that's fine, but he's not going to change the way that this team plays basketball. He's not going to suddenly add some command of the game. And by the way, I don't like how Rondo commands the game. I honestly think he can be a very questionable decision maker. Sometimes you get this look in his eye where it's like, all right, this is 2012, and I'm the (laughs) best player on the Celtics, and we're going toe-to-toe with LeBron, and I'm going to score 20. And he did it a weird amount in last year's playoffs. I don't know if a man can literally just get better in the playoffs every single year, though. I think he can be selfish sometimes in that same vein, and he can be a minus shooting. So you hold out hope that you get playoff Rondo, but do I like him being the guy with the ball in his hands for the most part? Not really. Oh, you don't think there's a guy who can just turn it on when it comes playoff time? If there is a guy, it's Rondo because he has consistently done it. 
Go but, ahead. Just completely forget about Jamal Murray, please, Carson. Okay, I would never forget about Jamal Murray. Ooh, that's just, I'm so sorry, Jamal. I shouldn't have done that live on air. And I want to clarify, like, I'm not saying that Rondo, you know, changes stylistically how they play ball or makes them drastically better. I'm just saying that Rondo brings a lot of qualities to the table that Lou Williams simply doesn't yeah. possess. I mean, there's value in having a guy who can, another one of my favorite phrases here on Nerdsish, slick the wheels of an offense and play nice. some gritty defense. I mean, I just, I think he brings a, a winning skill set. Yeah, and the defensive value is legitimate. When he's locked in, he can really contribute on that end. I think that it's an upgrade for sure. I just don't love it necessarily, and I don't know if the Clippers are where they need to be if they want to truly come out of this West that is so, so loaded right now. So after trading for 2011 Rondo, you, they're, they're title favorites, right? Yes. If they have 2011 Rondo in there, that's a pretty good basketball team. All right, let's go pretty quickly through a few of these last deals. We had George Hill on the move, going to the Philadelphia 76ers in a three-team deal. The Sixers also got Iggy Brazdakis, who wouldn't want him. The Knicks received Terrence Ferguson, Vincent Poirier, and I have literally never heard of this guy, Logan, and he has never played an NBA minute despite being drafted 12 years ago. Amir Prelzdich, I believe he is a Yugoslav, so shout out to him for that. And a couple of seconds, and then the Thunder received Austin Rivers, Tony Bradley, and a couple of seconds from Philly. Probably way too much time already on this trade, but what did you think about it? I, I want to know. <laughs> I want an Amir Prelzic uh, button, or yeah. we can just hit it, and I can get an audio recording of you saying his name. It's a tough name, man. <laughs> it is tough. Um, can we just like bow at the at the um, feet of Daryl Morey? Yeah, I'd he's, like to. He's the goat. Yeah. Um, I love this trade for Philly. You get another really great catch and shooter. He'll. 47.5% off the catch this season. Really, his talent's going to waste in OKC. They're not going to make any damage. He is going to make some noise here in Philly. Yeah. Like I said, anytime you put shooting around uh, a really good um, facilitator in Ben Simmons and Embiid when they can spot up those guys, it's a great trade. And what I even love more about this is George Hill's defensive inefficiencies don't matter because the 76ers play such great team defense. I mean, I think you can trade... You can have him and Curry on the floor at all times. You have mm -hmm. a deadly catch-and-shooter at all times on the floor. So I love this move for him. I also love them picking up Iggy. That boy has been uh, ripping up the G League oh uh, as of recently, um, as he always does. No, I like, dude, decent playmaker. I, I don't know why I'm focusing on Iggy Brazdakis yeah, right expecting now. expecting it. No, that's um, what we do. Pretty good playmaker. Uh, pretty good in the lane. Uh, you know, a little bit of a Euro-step, hop-step move. Pretty good rebounder. Good defensive asset. I think he'll be getting minutes on their uh, championship team this year. Um, <laughs> so, no, I, I like this move for Philly. Um, I am upset to see Austin Rivers leave New York. I really liked watching him play there. It looked like he was having fun again. Um, for the Knicks, I don't know what they're doing, bro. I mean, good for you getting two second-round picks. Terrence mm -hmm. Ferguson blows, though. Yeah, you got two seconds. I think that that's all that they're looking at, and they don't really care all that much about Austin Rivers. Tony Bradley, it's a shame to see him leave, considering he led the Sixers in scoring just a few games ago, but he's really obviously not all that good, especially when you have Dwight in there. Yeah, this is 100% a win for the Sixers. Hill can still play. He can still do a lot of things for you offensively as that off-ball guy. He can also be that truer point guard, which I think will be interesting to see. How does that work with Milton off the bench? I like it, honestly. I think that Milton, although he can facilitate, is a scorer first and foremost and is probably an off guard in this league. So you put him alongside a guy like Hill, I think that that works. And that's really all that matters. All right, let's keep it moving. The Kings acquired DeLon Wright from the Pistons for Corey Joseph and two second-round picks. Logan, obviously, your Sacramento Kings get certainly the better player out of this deal. But did this make sense for them? What were your thoughts? Um, I mean, I liked some of the moves that the Kings have made here at the deadline. I am always, and I, I'm going to stick by this, I'm always a big fan of if you can move off of second-round picks for good assets at yeah. the deadline, go ahead and do it. Uh -huh. You don't really know what you're going to get draft time, but if you can get a sure asset right here, go for it. I mean, DeLon Wright specifically, I don't really get it. We already have a really deep guard rotation with Halliburton, with Fox, with Heald, but, you know, cool. I mean, DeLon Wright's a really yeah. good point guard. I'll take him. Um, yeah. He's not going to help us make the playoffs or anything, but it's a cool move. So this is interesting because Wright is really good, and I think he becomes one of the five best guys on this Kings team that is really just lacking for quality players. So I think his versatility makes him interesting. I think he could be nice along other ball handlers, but I think really you want to have him run the second unit more. Like, he's a good cutter. He's a solid shooter off the ball, and he's just a good, quick decision maker. But for the most part, I want him to be with the ball in his hands. I think that's where he's best, and you do that with the bench. Yeah. Um, I don't really get it, though. 
Yeah, I just think they're trying to make a play-in push. So I think that that leads into the other deal that they made, which is acquiring Terrence Davis from the Raptors for a 2021 second. By the way, I will say on that last one, I think it's a solid move for the Pistons. DeLon Wright has no role in your long-term future. So I agree with you on giving up seconds, but you might as well get a couple of them so that maybe you can fool somebody into flipping them later. But let's talk about this TD move. What do you think? Oh, I mean, I love TD, and this is what I was referring to, you know, when you give up a second-round pick. Yeah. Uh, TD, still only 23. Again, you have no idea what you could get in that second round. TD is for sure, man. This this guy's a certified bucket. Yeah. I mean, he gets minutes out there on the floor. Uh, he's had uh, a few, I think, one 20-point game this season, uh, a lot of scoring in the double digits. I want to see him get some opportunity, some burnout here. He wasn't getting burned in that Toronto Raptors rotation. He wouldn't be after the acquisition of, uh, you know, Trenton Hood, so... I want to see TD get burned, and I really like this move, especially with just how young he is. You can bring him back. He can be a really valuable asset off the bench next season for Sacramento. This is a fantastic pickup. If Wright is the fifth-best player on their team now, I think Davis is the sixth-best guy, and you get an athletic 3-and-D wing who still has room to grow. And giving up second-rounders to make that play and push is fine with me. The Kings have so far to go defensively to get to that point, but they've at least added a couple quality players, and Maybe we can take a little bit of a retrospective at some other point on if they really are in that conversation now. But let's keep moving with another Raptors deal for a second rounder. They gave up Matt Thomas to the Utah Jazz for a second round pick. What did you think about that? That was a highway robbery by the Utah Jazz. It kind of is. I mean, Matt Thomas is not the uh, best NBA player, but that shot is pure. Yeah. I mean, we saw him a few times last year, man, just... He can just fill it up sometimes. When he's hot and when that stroke is on, he's a hard guy to stop from the perimeter. He's 41% off the catch this season. And the Jazz are the best three-point shooting team in the league. Um, I am, I am, I'm enthralled uh, at what we're going to see him playing off-ball to guys like Mitchell, mm-hmm. Mike Conley. I know he's not going to get a whole lot of burn because yeah. this rotation's already pretty deep. When he is out there on the floor, though, get ready for a three-point barrage. Yeah, the Jazz's top eight are great, but why not add a career 46% shooter from deep, a guy who's great off movement? Honestly, shades of J.J. Reddick. Call me crazy, but I feel that good about Thomas shooting in tight windows and coming off screens. He's just a dead eye, and he shoots a little laser beam, so I love him. <laughs> you are crazy for that comp, though. Okay, I said shades. Shades. It's like super diet Chris Paul for T.J. McConnell. All right, last trade that we're going to talk about, and then we'll just give our brief 30-second thoughts on a couple guys who didn't get moved. The Hornets acquired Brad Wanamaker in a second-round pick swap from the Warriors for a second-round pick swap. I think I can take this one. Trading Brad Wanamaker to possibly move up like two picks in the second round sounds about right. Any other thoughts from you? I'm guessing the Hornets did this uh, because LaMelo got hurt. Yeah. Good good move for the Warriors, though. Oh, yeah, it's going to be great to see Wanamaker taking on that LaMelo role. I'm sure that he's going (laughs) to really thrill some of those Hornets fans. No, Brad Wanamaker is not a good NBA player, but hopefully he does well in Charlotte and maybe finds a little something there. I'm not saying he fills in for LaMelo. No, I'm joking. Get pranked, dude. You're on punked. I'm Ashton Kutcher. There's a camera right there. There's a camera right there. Okay, 30 seconds or so. We had a couple guys who were expected to maybe be on the move, a couple of legit assets who didn't get moved, Lonzo Ball and Kyle Lowry. What were your thoughts on their team standing pat? Lonzo was the guard that I wanted Charlotte to go out and get. I uh. want to see the Ball brothers play together. <laughs> um, I think I think he's an asset that needs to get moved off of, Carson. I think you touched on it in the offseason. I don't think he's a long-term option here at point guard for the Pelicans. I think it'd just be smart to move off him, especially when his value it is an all-time high. When Lonzo's knocking down his shot, he's a valuable asset to have out there. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think he should have been moved. I'm kind of disappointed he wasn't, though, because I do think he could be a valuable addition to a contending team. And then what about Lowry? Um, Lowry, uh, kind of the same boat. Lowry mm-hmm. could be a really good asset Yo, to a contending team. He plays great defense, can play make, can score. Um, he can do it all. And honestly, man, there are rumblings talking about, oh, you know, Raptors fans trying to talk themselves into Kyle Lowry coming back. I don't think he is. Like, like what incentive does this guy – like, I know he's a lifer. For if, the love of the city. If he loves I can, Toronto. I know he loves Toronto, but if I can go play for a title next season, I am going to go sign on a team that can put me in that position. Yeah, I mean, Lowry could put a team over the top very easily, and if the Heat had gotten him instead of Oladipo, maybe they would be closer to actually being the favorite out East, in my opinion. I love Kyle Lowry. He's still a top 25 guy I want if I'm trying to win a title. And Lonzo, obviously, is a guy who has a bunch of intrigue as that two-way player, and I don't think he's a disastrous fit in New Orleans. It'll be interesting to see if he does get moved at some point, but I don't think it's the worst thing that he didn't, and I think that there's a world in which Lowry does resign and that you don't just lose him for nothing. So, 
With that, as always, it has been an absolute pleasure speaking to you all. You've been listening to Nerd Sesh. You can find more of our content on YouTube. I just churned out a video on why Darius Garland is a future NBA star. We do stuff like that all the time, little video breakdowns. You can follow us on Twitter at Nerd underscore Sesh and on Instagram at Nerd Sesh. And you can find us on all podcasting platforms if it's Spotify, Apple, wherever you get your stuff. And as always, I've been Carson Brabber. I've been Logan Camden. And this was Nerd Sesh. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.